0: Let's pray. Jesus, we would love to see you right now with our eyes. And until then, we're so grateful that we can know you and that we can love you and we can rejoice in you in all this, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, who brings your presence close to us and opens our eyes to see your glories in your word. So would you do that for us again, like you've done so many times before? Would you rescue us, Lord, from distraction, from speculation, from merely words? But Holy Spirit, would you give us each a taste of the glory of Jesus through your word this morning, sending us out wherever that is, to know you and make you known. We need you, Lord, Heavenly Father. We know that you love and delight in your son. So we ask with expectation that we will receive an answer from you. And we thank you for this. For Jesus' sake, amen. Please have a seat. day almost almost 30 years ago that my elementary school got the internet and the internet as a way to connect computers had had actually been around for a while but what was new was this thing called the World Wide Web. Using a, a browser like Netscape Navigator you could look at these new things called web pages and what made web pages special was something called a hyperlink where in the text, you would see certain text that was blue and had a line under it, which meant you could click on it. And when you clicked on it, it just took you to another page. And so you could be reading an article about a historical person and see that they were born in this city and you'd notice that was a link. So you'd click on it and all of a sudden you'd be reading all about their city and on the page about their city, you could see it was in this country and you'd click on it and all of a sudden you'd be reading all about that country and, and on and on it would go. Through hyperlinks, one page could be connected to another and eventually all the pages were connected to each other like a web, a worldwide web. It's where the name comes from. And the web changed our world because the, the, the way the web works mirrors the way that we think, right? Our brains are always moving from one topic to the next. And some of our brains do so faster and more readily than others. But, but that's, that's what's happening all the time like a series of links being clicked. I mean, have you ever been in a conversation with someone and all of a sudden you stopped and been like, how do we start talking about this? Oh yeah, we were talking about this and before that we were talking about this and before that we were talking about this. Or have you ever just let your mind wander and been like, why am I thinking about this? And you, and then you go back and it's like looking at your browser history, right? Of how you how, how you got there. Now why are we talking about this? Well, we're talking about this because uh, we're, we're at the end here of, of, a, of a chunk of verses in First Peter chapter one. Verses 3 to 12, that in, in the original language, they're all it's just one sentence. And, 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 and I think one of the best ways to, to understand how this passage works is to think of it like a series of web pages. We started on verse in verse 3 with Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our home page. Okay, that, that's where we begin. And it's almost like there's a little little word underneath that said, find out why. Like, find out why the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is is, is most blessed. And so we clicked on find out why, and what opened up was a little pop-up window that said, explaining that God is to be praised because he's caused us to be born again through Christ's resurrection to a living hope, which is a, a totally safe inheritance kept in heaven for you. At the end of verse four. And then we noticed those words for you. It's almost like they were, they were blue with the line under them. So we click on for you. And that brought us to verse five. Which tells us all about ourselves. That we're being guarded. By God's power through faith. For this salvation. Which is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's verse five. Now salvation. Ready to be revealed. That was another link. And we clicked on that. And it brought us to verse 6, where we read about the joy that we experience in this salvation in the midst of of present struggles, which are testing our faith, proving our faith to be the genuine article, right? Because real faith perseveres through trials. So when our faith perseveres through trials, it proves it to be the genuine article. And verse 7 told us this genuine faith is going to result in glory when Jesus is revealed. Now, notice again how verse six, or verse 7 ends with the words Jesus Christ, and I almost think of that like being a link, and you click on it, and it brings you to verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And in verse 8 and 9, we're all about Jesus and the way that, that we now, though we don't see him, believe in him, love him, and rejoice in him. If, if you weren't here last week, you can go listen to that sermon on our website. Or you'll Click on a link for real, and, and you, can, you can listen to it there. And what Peter emphasized in those verses was, was our love for Christ as we wait for, uh, at quote verse 9, the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Now that word salvation was the final link and you click on it and it takes you to this new page that we just got to today, verses 10 and 12, where Peter talks more about this salvation that we are going to receive and already have begun to experience. Now, I don't know if thinking about this passage like a series of web pages helps or just confuses you further. If it's confusing, just read it and, and then that's, that's what you need. But what I'm trying to see is how Peter goes from this thought and then there's a connection point which opens up this thought and then there's a connection point which opens up this thought and, and he, and he moves and they're all connected. And here we are at, at our final stop in this passage. Verses 10 to 12. And, and, and there's something unique about, about verses 10 to 12. We, we saw last week how as Peter moves through these verses, he, his perspective tends to, to shift between present day and future. So here's what's true of you, here's what will be true of you, here's what's true of you, here's what will be true of you. What's interesting about verses 10 and 12 is that his perspective goes to the past. As he begins to look back, At the spirit inspired prophets who talked about this salvation before okay so it's been present future present future now we're now we're in the past and that's our big first stop we're gonna see here today is is Peter unpacks our relation to the prophets to the old covenant prophets concerning this salvation he says in verse 10 right there's the connection point I just talked about salvation so concerning this salvation The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully concerning the salvation. Now this verse, verse 10, and it flows into verse 11 and 12, introduces three important ideas for us. And, and, and the first key idea that, that verse 10 opens up for us is that the Old Covenant or Old Testament, right? Testament just means covenant. So Old Covenant, Old Testament prophets were speaking about Jesus. Old Testament prophecy is about Jesus. We know that because Peter says the prophets who prophesied were prophesying about what? What's he say? The grace that was to be yours. He's writing to his readers, but right, we're in the same boat as them. We're believers in Jesus, this side of his resurrection. We're in the same boat. The prophets who prophesied, what were they talking about? What were they looking forward to? What were they prophesying about the grace that was to be yours? This is how Peter sums up the message of the Old Testament. What's the Old Testament about, Peter? the grace that was to be yours. That's how he sums up the Old Testament. What were the prophets prophesying about? What is Isaiah about? What is Ezekiel about? What is Daniel or Micah or Nahum or Habakkuk? What are they about? The grace that was to be yours. Is that how we would sum up the Old Testament? It's an important question, right? It's not the only way he sums up their message. He gets more clear in the last part of verse 11. Last part of verse 11 says that the spirit of Christ in those prophets, which, by the way, shows that Jesus pre-existed before he was born as a baby. He, he was a person before he was born as a baby because the spirit of Christ in the apostles was indicating when he predicted what, 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 what were the prophets writing about? the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. That's what the Old Testament prophets were prophesying about. The sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. I mean, it's, as we think about suffering and glory, that, that just reminds us of, of Christ's words that we read earlier today, right? Oh foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? and enter into his glory. That's how the second way that Peter sums up the Old Testament and that's, that's how Jesus sums up the Old Testament. And then Peter says in verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in, now listen carefully, the things, so they were serving you in the things that have now been announced to you Through those who preached the good news to you. Okay, let's just piece this sentence together. The prophets were serving you in the things. And what do you expect him to say? In the things that they wrote about. The prophets were serving you in the things that they said. But instead he says the prophets were serving you in the things that that have now been announced to you by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. In other words, the apostles preaching about the death and resurrection of Jesus. So what's the point? The message of the apostles who proclaim that Christ was crucified, risen, reigning at the Father's right hand, coming again to judge, receiving the worship of the world, that's the message of the Old Testament prophets too. That's his point, he's just saying the same thing in three different ways. The Old Testament prophets prophesied about the grace to be given to you, the sufferings and glory of Jesus, and the very same things that the apostles are preaching. Old Covenant prophecy all about Jesus, all about the gospel, all about the salvation that the Gentiles, these Gentiles in the far-flung corners of the Roman Empire were now experiencing. Now, this has some pretty big significance for how we read the Bible, and we're gonna come back to that, but but let's just recognize something just at this point that's really important is that what Peter is saying to these Gentiles is that their salvation was something the Old Testament prophets prophesied about. In other words, Gentiles being saved and welcomed into the family of God was not a plan B that God fell back on once the Jews rejected Jesus. This this is not how it works. Christianity is not a new religion, and the Gentiles aren't in some separate class of people from the Jewish believers. There's one plan of salvation foretold by the prophets that includes Jews and Gentiles being welcomed into the family of God through the sufferings and the glories of Christ. And we're going to keep seeing this, by the way, as we keep going through 1 Peter. First I mean, Peter, a Jew, quotes Old Testament scripture all the time and applies it to his Gentile readers. I mean, it's just, to, to Peter, there's just, it's just a, a, a given that, that we're all part of, of the one people that were saved by Jesus. The salvation of the Gentiles is not a plan B. The prophets prophesied about the grace that was to be given to people from every tribe, tongue, nation, language, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, what's this first big idea here? Old Testament prophecy is about Jesus. Now there's a second truth we wanna see here that Peter unpacks for us, is that the Old Testament prophets didn't always know what they were writing about. They didn't always understand everything they wrote. Peter says this at the end of verse 10. The prophets, quote, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So in other words, the prophets, the prophets themselves were puzzled about many of the things that they themselves wrote about. They, they the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating things, and as they were speaking these things and writing these things, they themselves were uncertain about them and were seeking and diligently inquiring. So what, what's, what, what's going on? What kind of person is being spoken about here? What kind of time is being spoken about here? What, what are the circumstances, perhaps? Another way this word could be translated. What's, what's going on here? Now, we have examples of some of this in the prophets. Okay, so in in Daniel 8.15, he says, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. (laughs) God showed Daniel a vision, and he said, I don't get it. I mean, Daniel 12, 8 and 9, he says, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, "Oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. In other words, you're not going to get it, Daniel. So God revealed things to the prophets about Jesus that the prophets themselves didn't fully understand. Daniel wasn't alone, according to Peter. They, 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 They didn't understand. Now this, again, says a lot about how we should read the Bible So we're going to just dwell on an idea here for a moment. One of the big principles that we want to apply when we read the Bible carefully is is we want to ask the question, what did the original author intend for his original audience to understand? So, right, that, that keeps us from taking Scripture out of context, right? It's like, you've probably seen the jokes of people, you know, flipping open the Bible at random and and reading, you know, go and do likewise. Okay, I'm supposed to go and do likewise without asking, like, who is that actually written to? Who is it written by? Right? Like, people do this all the time, right? Like, we read Jeremiah 21, 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And we go, yes, God has plans to prosper me. Instead of asking, well, who is Jeremiah actually writing to? What did Jeremiah mean by these words? Who is Jeremiah's audience? Okay, so a really important way to not twist scripture is to ask, what did the human author mean to the people that he was writing to? But our passage today is telling us something that's really important. Is that we should start by asking, what did the human author mean? But we can't stop there. Because often, God, the divine author, meant more than the human author. The human authors didn't understand everything that they were saying. God was revealing things through them that went beyond what they could understand. So the prophets themselves—it's like they're painting a picture of that, and they step back and they go, "What is it?" Right? Like it's, it's, so, so, so they themselves were seeking to, to understand what was going on in these prophecies that God was was giving them. So, so we need to understand that Scripture is is often going to mean more than the human author intended, never less, but sometimes more. Because God was saying more than they could understand. Okay, so this is our second big thing here. The prophets didn't understand all that they wrote. Third, they knew they were serving us. This is the third big idea. The prophets knew that they were serving us. And and, and here's where this comes in, right? So what's the point of God inspiring prophets to write things down and to speak messages out that they don't understand? What's the point of that? Well, there's no point if it's just for them, but it's not just for them. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Like, we just just need to pause here for, for a minute. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, were serving you. They knew that their prophecies were not for their benefit, but for the benefit of those who would see their fulfillment. The prophets knew they were serving us. Of course their prophecies had some benefit to themselves, right? The prophecies all said something to the original audience, the the first people who heard them. And even the prophecies about the future made the people back then hope and look and long for the Messiah to come, which shapes their lives. But the clarity and the full understanding, the the real full meaning of their prophecies was not for them to enjoy, but for Us to enjoy. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. In some ways, and this might maybe this isn't a great example, but in some ways, the Old Testament prophets were like writing things and putting them in a time capsule. Did any of you ever do that? Maybe the year 2000, that was a big thing. We did a time capsule in the year 2000. We wrote notes and we put things and we packed it away. And 15, 20 years later, we took it out. And, and those things had meaning later on, right? And, and, and Peter's saying that in some ways, that, that, that's, that's similar to what's happening with the prophets. They wrote things down that, that were not for them, but preserved through time, now that Christ has come now we see it now it comes to its its full fruit and we understand as the apostles teach and as the apostles go to the Old Testament and we see Christ the clarity of the Old Testament has been unlocked we know now we know what kind of person the Messiah is we know what kind of time he was going to come in we know the circumstances we know Jesus And we can see now how the prophets point to him in his full glory and how they were serving us all along. Now, this is the main idea in these verses here. But before we step back and kind of sum it all up, Peter throws in this statement, like just a by the way at the end of verse 12. That's just amazing. It just just ramps things up. These things that the prophets prophesied about, what does he say at the end of verse 12? They are things... Into which angels long to look. The angels, the heavenly beings. Present tense. Long. So not in the past. Not back then with the prophets. They wanted to look into them. No. Present tense. Today, the angels long to look into these things. The gospel that's been preached to you by prophets and apostles. This word for look here has the, the idea of, of peering through a window, right? We've all seen like those, those like old Victorian pictures at Christmas time of like the toy shop and the little kid standing out on the street with his, with his finger and his nose on the glass, just like looking through the window. That, that's kind of like what this word is describing, like peering maybe through the window of heaven, lining up, hoping, hoping just to get a glimpse to the very things that we enjoy. Because why would the angels be eager to peer through the window to see what we enjoy? Well, one answer to that question is that there's no plan of salvation for the angels. Have you ever thought about that before? Second Peter 2 Peter 2.4, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. When angels sinned and fell from heaven and became demons, they lost all hope. The only future ahead of them was judgment. So that's why when you see Jesus on earth, doing his ministry, encountering demons, not once did the demons say, please forgive me and restore me back to heaven, because that was not an option. Instead, they plead in terror that he not send them away to the abyss, right? What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Have you come here to torment us before the time? The only mercy Jesus could show to demons was time before their destruction. I mean, this, this is a huge point. This is a huge point when we talk about God's sovereignty in salvation, When some people read passages in the Bible, that suggests that God chooses to save some and chooses to not save others. They really struggle with that because it feels deeply unfair. And I'll never forget when I read someone ask this question, would it be fair for God to create a race of beings And to give them the ability to make meaningful choices and to give them the ability to sin against him and for God to know that some of those beings would sin against him, but provide absolutely no plan of salvation for after they did. Creates a whole race, race of beings, gives them the ability to make meaningful choices, knows some of them will choose against him, and knows that after that one chance, there's nothing for them but judgment. Would it be fair for God to do that? He did. It's the angels and the demons. He did. And God is not unjust. Rebellion against God deserves judgment. And when the demons get what they deserve, not a single one is gonna complain that God's being unfair. And that's why the angels long to peer into this mystery. It just must blow their minds that for all our sin and rebellion against God, how much we deserve nothing but judgment He came in his son to redeem a people for himself by taking that judgment onto himself and reconciling us back to himself forever. And not just saving us a little bit, but making us joint heirs with Jesus, fellowshipping with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever in his very family. I mean, how many times did the angels watch just slack-jawed, struggling to process what was going on in front of them. I mean, did, they, did the angels turn to one another and, and just ask like, can you believe, can you believe what's happening right now? As, as the son of God hung suffocating on the cross, did those 12 legions of angels need to be held back from swooping in to rescue him, amazed at what he was choosing to go through for our sake? Next time that you struggle, with feeling like God has been unfair to you, next time you struggle to care about the unreached peoples that have not yet heard the good news, remember the angels, remember the demons. Remember that that's all we deserve. And see the angels longing, lining up as it were, longing to just peer through the window into the grace that you and I get to drink from. Think about our privilege to enjoy Jesus, our privilege to invite men and women and boys and girls from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language to enjoy the grace found in Jesus. It's, it's, It's beyond words, it's incredible. And with these final words, things into which angels long to look, Peter concludes his sentence. And this is a great point for us to step back and just consider what's he, what's he doing here? What's he saying here? Let's think of back where we started in not just this big sentence that started in verse 3 but in verse 1. Peter is writing to people who were on the outside of their world, their society. They were exiles. They were on the outside they were seen as strangers as weird as outcasts they did not fit in but from god's perspective they were insiders of the most incredible thing imaginable that's that's what peter's trying to encourage these people with these they're suffering and things are hard and he's trying to lift up their eyes to see their privileges He's trying to help them see that though they don't currently see Jesus, they are still more privileged than the Old Testament prophets, more privileged than the angels in heaven. That's his point here in verses 10 to 12. Yeah, the the Roman world thinks that you're nuts, but prophets longed to see what you enjoy. Yeah, your neighbors think you're crazy and they exclude you, but angels long to see what you enjoy. The world's assessment of you is 100% wrong. What we've been given makes us more privileged than prophets and angels. What we want to do in the next few minutes here is just really try and, 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 and get inside of this truth. Let it soak in and appreciate what Peter has said to us here. And, and here's, here's my assumption as we move into this into this. Conclusion: is We talk about enjoying our privileges. Here's my assumption here. I'm assuming that most Christians don't go through their lives thinking I'm more privileged than the prophets and the angels. In fact, I, I, I suspect the opposite is true. I suspect that many Christians read the Old Testament and the times that the prophets lived and think, oh, that would have been so awesome. We think they're the privileged ones. We think of the angels in heaven right now and think, oh, being one of them, that would just be, that would be amazing. I mean, think of the people in the Old Testament. They were the ones, you know, seeing miracles all the time. They were the ones hearing from God all the time. And here's you and me, and you know, all we've got is this book and a bunch of ordinary looking people around us, and it doesn't feel like a lot of privilege. And that's what we want to realize here. The Bible times were not the glory days. Have you ever had that idea that the Bible times were the glory days? I think I picked up on this in in Sunday school. The way that I was taught Sunday school was just Bible stories about all these great things that God did back then. And I subtly picked up on the idea. I mean, that's great, but like, what about now? And it wasn't until I was an adult that I was taught how all of these Old Testament stories point to Jesus and the salvation that that we get to enjoy today, just like Nathan was talking about. It wasn't until I was an adult that I learned, in addition to this, that Old Testament people were not experiencing miracles all the time as a way of life. The miracles in the Old Testament are actually mainly clustered in two distinct seasons. One is the Exodus from Egypt, and the other was the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. In other words, the law and the prophets, the beginning of the the season of the law and the beginning of the age of the prophets. And other than those two seasons, there's actually not not a ton of miracles recorded. Normal life in the Old Testament was more like the book of Ruth or the book of Esther than the book of Exodus, right? We read Exodus and think, oh yeah, that was not normal life. Normal life was like the book of Ruth. God was working, God was directing, but he was doing it in normal ways, the ways that he does for us. But yet, even, even uh, just think about the, the, the times of, of the miracles, the, the, the height of this season of miracles, like the Exodus from Egypt, what happened As a result of those miracles, Israel passes through the Red Sea. How amazing is that? And how long is it till they're worshiping a golden calf? Elijah prays, fire falls from heaven, and it doesn't change the direction of the nation of Israel. They keep going hard, worshiping Baal. I remember, just in, in, in a modern context, I remember hearing about a couple who had taken a trip to Israel together, and they saw all the places where these miracles had happened, and apparently it was an amazing experience. And a year later, she left her husband for another man. And the person who told me this just, was just full of surprise that they could like experience the land of the Bible and fall apart so quickly afterwards. And... What I thought, I didn't have the chance to say it then, but what I, what I thought was, the Pharisees lived in the land of the Bible, and when God showed up, they killed him. You hear what I'm saying? Like, No experience, no miracle has the power to change a hard heart. And that's why you and I sitting here in an ordinary building in a small town in northeast Saskatchewan are more privileged than Moses and Elijah. More privileged than Moses and Elijah. We know the fullness of what all those miracles pointed forward to. We know Christ. We know the new covenant. We know what it's like to walk with God in the newness of life, not the oldness of the law. We know what it's like to to, to have God's instruction written on our Heart, so that we want to obey Him from the inside out. I just think about some of the conversations that we have with each other that we just think are normal, like to, to hear another Christian saying, I, I just want to do what, what, what God wants. Like How many of you have heard someone around here say that, maybe we should do a show of hands, and we just think that's normal, to, to just want to do what God wants. That is a new covenant miracle, people, that the Spirit has, has wrought in our hearts or to say, I, I, I don't want to do that stuff that pulls me away from the Lord. That is, that is a new covenant miracle. Making us want to obey God. I, I can just imagine, this, this week I was just thinking, what would it be like to go for coffee with Moses and Elijah, and after talking about Jesus for 10 or 12 hours, then I would tell them about my job, and I can just see them saying like, you're kidding? Like, you lead, you, you help lead a, a group of people who want to do God's will, like no one's threatening them with with the death sentence and they still come every week and they just want to do what God wants? Like, they're just choosing that? Like, are you kidding? See, the things that we take for granted are things that the ancients would have given up everything to experience. Not to mention, like we've said, everything we know about Christ and what he's done and what he's yet promised to do. Friends, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And these are the glory days. These are the days where the spirit has been poured out on the church and we enjoy Christ together. And and this isn't just about miracles, by the way. Think about the, the words of the prophets, too. I've heard from many Christians who look back at the the prophets and say, oh, I wish God would speak to us that way. Or they even build whole theologies on that. See, God spoke to the prophets that way. We should assume he's going to talk to us in the same way. And it misses the whole point. Once again, not everyone got that, right? God did not tell Boaz to marry Ruth. He didn't give Nehemiah a vision of a finished wall. For a lot of them, it was just normal. But second, what was all of those stories and all of the prophets, what was all of it pointed to? It wasn't just some big Richard Scary book with a bunch of colorful characters bouncing around doing cool stuff. It It was a whole direction pointing to Jesus. All of their lives, all of the words of the prophets, everything was hurtling towards Christ. And that's why Peter sums up the ministry of the prophets and their message as the grace that was to be yours. So we miss the point if we look back at the prophets and say, I wish God would talk to us that way. You know what, the prophets would look at you and me with the spirit in our hearts and an open Bible in front of us, walking life together with the people of God and say, I wish God would talk to me like that. Friends, these are the glory days compared to the old covenant. If you, if you want more of this, so you just know I'm not just making this up, go read 2 Corinthians 3. Right, this is the ministry of the spirit that surpasses the ministry of death in glory. And yet, even the glory that we know now is gonna pale in comparison to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We need to see that. We need to recognize that. See, if we think that we're just part of a religious social club that reads stories about cool stuff that God did way back when, and we'll live like that. But if we understand that we live in the era of the fulfillment of redemption, when the spirit has been poured out on us to enjoy Jesus together and make him known together, then we'll live like that. And we'll do things, crazy things, like move to Indonesia with a family of four young children, because it's actually not that crazy. It's just what we do. So how do we get that perspective? How do we keep that perspective? And and one of the the most important ways is by reading the Bible properly. I mean, isn't that how we got here this morning? Just reading, reading the Bible. And notice how Peter points his readers back to the Bible. He doesn't say you need God to tell you more stuff. He says, look at what God's given you. And we're gonna see that all through 1 Peter. Peter is gonna train us how to read the Old Testament as a Christian book. Peter is gonna quote from the Old Testament and show us how to interpret it as a Christian book. And we need that. So many Christians struggle to read the Old Testament. I think we could do a show of hands of how many people set out to read through the Bible and got stuck in Leviticus. And then there's probably gonna be a Numbers Club. And then there might be a Deuteronomy Club. I mean, and I think part of that happens when we read it as just a bunch of stuff that happened back then. So as we wrap up here, I wanna get really practical by, by, by recommending to you three ways that you can read the Bible with Jesus at the center, three ways to help you read the Bible with Jesus at the center so that you might live in the glory of your privilege. The first is to read the New Testament slowly so that every time a New Testament author quotes the Old Testament, you can go back and read that part of the Old Testament, but not just that verse. See, here's what's so often happening. The people in the New Testament knew knew the Old Testament so well that when they quote a verse, they want you to think of the chapter. So this, this, would be a, this would be an awesome Bible study for you to do on your own in your devotions over the next two or three years. Read through the New Testament slowly and maybe get a study Bible or a Bible that has footnotes. So when you see an Old Testament quote, go back, read the whole chapter or, or five, and then go back to the New Testament, read it again, and let the apostles train you in reading the Old Testament as a Christian book. Second is, is use a commentary, a, stu- a good study tool to help you read the Old Testament well, right? A stu- commentary is just a study tool. In your bulletin this week, you can see that we've highlighted the Focus on the Bible commentary series. We've got those in our library. They're on the bottom shelf in the library room over here. These are commentaries that are not written for guys with PhDs. They're, just, they're written just for anybody. A- anybody could pick them up and read them. And th- they've really helped me read the Old Testament as a Christian book and to see Christ all over the place. Third suggestion, and this sounds like a little bit of self-promotion, but it's just, it's just a, a tool that we wanna make available to you. Uh, five years ago, we did a, a, a series here called You Are Here, that in eight months we walked through the, the whole Bible and saw how the Bible's one story, Jesus is the main character, and we we're a part of the story today. And it's all on our website. It's right there on the front page. You go to the website, you see you are here. And you just click on it. And, and you can read it all. There's, there's sermons, blog posts. It's all on a, There's a podcast with it all. It, 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 was, a, it was a pretty foundational series for, for many of us around here in, in understanding how the whole Bible fits together, puts Jesus at the forefront, and helps us understand our spot as supporting characters in his story. And so I I want to commend that to you to take advantage of that. And again, guys, what's this going for? Friends, what is this pointing us to? It is not just about reading a book. It is about understanding the greatness of the salvation given to us so that we might know and love the Lord Jesus all the more like we talked about last week. It's about living faithfully in a hostile world. It's about being willing to go out or to send others for the sake of his name. It's about journeying together until we see Christ. It's about him. As we understand that prophets and angels long and longed for what we enjoy, that should make us with Peter say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's my life, Lord. Whatever you want. I'm yours, all glory to you. Heavenly Father, would you help us to see that in the gospel we have been privileged beyond prophets and angels? Would you help us to see that we live in the glorious days of fulfillment? Would you help us to enjoy the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out that we might enjoy Christ together? And would you help us in response to offer you our lives as supporting characters in the biggest story ever told, the main character of whom is and always has been and always will be, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And would you help us as we go into a week that will be very different for each one of us, But Lord, may what is the same be our determination to make much of Christ with our whole lives. Holy Spirit, would you do this, please? For Jesus' sake, amen.